Hi, I'm Allison, and welcome to the Searching for Vitality podcast. Candice and I are the co-hosts, and we are interviewing health and wellness practitioners in the greater Omaha and Lincoln area with the goal of learning different ways to better our wellness. We are searching for ways to better our mind, body, and spirit, and invite you to follow along in our journey. Our hope is that this podcast inspires you to connect with various experts in our local community to build a team to help you along your own journey. We hope you enjoy this episode. Today's interview, we are thrilled to have Abby Collins, the owner and financial coach at Money Talks Financial Coaching. With a deep passion for financial wellness, Abby specializes in helping individuals and couples achieve a sense of balance and stability in their financial lives. She understands the vital connection between financial health and overall well-being, shedding light on how our financial situations can significantly impact our physical and emotional states. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do, Abby? Yeah, thank you so much. That was such a beautiful introduction. I appreciate it. So my name is Abby Collins. I am a financial coach based out of Omaha, Nebraska, and really I um, strive to help individuals and couples achieve financial wellness, whatever that looks like for them. So typically we start by defining that for people. So finding out what does financial wellness look like for you? And then we work towards um, achieving those financial goals to then in the end have that financial wellness. So I do that through a variety of methods, but mostly it is just by um, connecting with people and talking about what's working, what hasn't worked in the past, um, and then finding some kind of commonalities and then creating action plans to get to wherever people want to go. And then how did you start becoming a financial coach? What made you decide to uh, get into this field? Yeah, that's a great question. I've kind of had a roller coaster uh, of a ride to get here. So I actually started my career um, doing violence prevention education and victim advocacy. So for about seven years, I was doing um, mostly that violence prevention education. And then I was also supporting folks who had experienced particularly um, interpersonal violence. So things like sexual violence, relationship violence, and stalking, um, and walking them through these really difficult and complicated processes that really weren't built for them. They weren't structured to support them. And so I was kind of someone who just walked alongside them and explained each step of the way. So I say that because although it sounds really like a um, a big 180 to go from doing that work to financial coaching. Financial coaching is actually really similar in terms of the setup. We're kind of walking through these really complex systems that honestly weren't set up for the average person. It's really difficult to navigate this and no one really talks about it. So that is kind of the commonalities there. But when I decided to become a financial coach, it was actually because my husband and I, um, when I was pregnant with my daughter, we kind of looked at each other and we were like, we don't, we don't know what we're doing with our money. Like we have no idea. Like, should we start saving for college right now? Like, I don't know. I'm, I don't, we don't, we don't know what to do. And I was particularly worried about medical bills, um, that would come from giving birth to my daughter. So, um, we kind of asked around and we got a recommendation of a financial planner from a family member. And we were like, great, this dude comes highly recommended. We're going to meet with him. We're going to see, 
what we should be doing. So we met with this guy and he kind of asked us what we were, um, where we were at in our life and just some questions. And, um, we told him, you know, I'm pregnant. I'm really, you need to figure out what to do with our money to plan for not only the birth, but then obviously like funding the life of a child, which we don't really know how to do. So he kind of listened and he was like, yep, that sounds good. I, here's how my process works. I, you don't pay me anything up front. I take a percentage of your portfolio, which is how most financial planners get paid. Um, he was like, I don't have any minimum. So you don't have to invest a minimum with me. And I love working with like young couples. We were like, perfect. Love it. This is amazing. We're going to do this. So then he was like, between now and our next meeting, what I need from you is to just um, fill out this intake form and then send me some like financial documents, basically. So he sends us this intake form and like, it was at least 30 pages long. It was super long. And I didn't know, I would say 70% of the words in it. I was like, I don't even know what you're asking me. I don't know what, like how to even go about answering these questions. And my husband and I didn't understand the questions enough to even talk about it, to even like have a conversation about what we wanted to like put down for these questions. So we like did what we could. (laughs) We like filled out as much as we could. We sent him the financial documents and then we met again. And he like pulls up these charts and he's like, I've run the numbers. And basically if you don't invest every dollar that you currently have in savings right now, you have a 0% chance of retiring a 0%. I was like, that feels (laughs) insane. I don't feel like, I don't know how that's possible. And like, he pulls up this chart and it's just like a drop off. Like it goes to 0%. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, like you really got to get started early if you don't do it right now or whatever. Like you're not going to be able to compound all these, again, words that I didn't really understand. And I was like, but I'm, I'm pregnant and I have to give birth and we're going to have medical bills. And like, what if I have complications? What if our child has complications? Like, what are we supposed to do about that? And he was like, well, how much do you think it's going to cost? And I was like, well, I think we were kind of thinking maybe around $5,000 would be like kind of the minimum we would have to pay. That was my out-of-pocket max at the time. And he was like, oh, that's that's a lot. And I was like, that's like the minimum. That's like such a small amount to even estimate. And that's not even considering, again, if, if there was complications. And so anyway, he was like, well, by the way, I, I do have a minimum amount that you have to invest. And the minimum is the amount that you have in savings right now, basically is what he told us. And I was like, but you said that you didn't have a minimum. And he was like, well, I don't personally, but the company I work for does and yada, yada, yada. And so anyway, I left that just so mad. I was like, so incredibly frustrated. And I didn't feel like he took into consideration, like where we were at in our lives and what was happening in the near future. And all he was talking about was this was retirement, which to me felt really far away and really abstract. And I was like, I have like real things that are happening right now that I need to know what to do with my money to make sure that we're going to be okay. So needless to say, we did not end up working with him. But after that, I was like, I'm going to just figure it out for myself. Like I'm going to learn how to do all this by myself because I don't want to have to rely on someone who really is just taking advantage of the fact that I don't really know what I'm doing um, and will profit off of that basically. So I did, I, I started the classes, like literally that next semester, it was probably a month later. I started the classes and I got the certifications and all of that. And I wasn't really sure if I was really going to do this for other people. I just knew that I wanted to 
know what I was doing for myself and make sure that I could like figure out my finances without having to rely on someone else. Um, but then I had my baby and I was like, you know what, I'm kind of looking for something that I can do a little bit more, uh, have a little bit more of a flexible schedule. And again, I kind of realized that there were a lot of similarities between what I was doing as a victim advocate and financial coaching. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to support other people with this. And that's what I've been doing. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of a great story and probably one that a lot of people will be able to relate with, um, is, you know, financial and advisors, they're in it to make a profit in a business as well. Um, and you know, how you talked about feeling overwhelmed about financial obligations, especially as starting a family. Um, so I would love if you could give us, um, kind of some recommendations for how maybe when somebody's feeling very overwhelmed with their financial situation or, um, a future financial situation, what are some ways that, um, they, what are some ways and some things that they can do to make the situation feel more manageable? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I'm working with clients, the first thing that we always do is we start with um, defining kind of, like I said earlier, defining financial wellness or a term like that, that feels relevant to them. So some people like the term financial freedom, financial stability, wealth, whatever that is. So I always start with an activity to really define like, what does a stable or healthy financial future look like to you? And so we write that down, we create that definition. So it feels like we have something to work towards because I think sometimes we get really caught up in the weeds of like, this is all happening right now. And we don't really create a really formal goal to work towards. So that's our definition. And then, um, I think it's really helpful to break up goals into timelines. So I help clients create a short-term goal. So something they want to accomplish in the next 12 months. And that could be something as simple as like, I'm going to stick to a budget for six consecutive months. Like maybe that's your short-term goal and then a midterm goal. So something that you want to accomplish in the next two to five years and then a long-term goal. So something that you would want to accomplish in the next five to 30 years. So setting goals first will be really helpful because then you have something to look back on when you're creating your action plan. So you want to have something that is motivating you, that feels exciting, and that you want to accomplish. And then we could start looking for like kind of creating action plans. The next thing is to really figure out like what you want. So for most people, starting with a budget is typically like where we would, where we would go. Some people already have the budget figured out and we start somewhere else, but I would say for most people, we're starting with a budget. So the next step would be to create what's called a cash flow statement. And a cash flow statement is just looking at your bank account or your credit cards, whatever you're typically spending money out of, um, and figuring out where your money is going. And this is something that feels that can feel really overwhelming for people um, and people that I work with, clients that I have, a lot of times it feels really embarrassing to do it with someone else. And so to, to kind of help with that, one, you can start with, um, like for me, meditation works really well. For some people, prayer look, works really well, but to kind of get some sort of grounding exercise or a centering exercise ahead of time to be like, this is going to be hard. I'm going to feel overwhelmed. How am I going to kind of work through that or breathe through that? Whatever works for you. So figuring out the cash flow is kind of the, the like where you're going to figure out where your money is going. And then you can create a budget from there. Um, but 
allowing yourself the time and the space to, to do that in a way that's going to, um, feel okay is okay. Right. Like you don't have to do it all in one day. You could spread it out over a couple of days. You can again, work through it through breathing or meditation or whatever, but, um, that's going to be a really helpful step to just figure out where's my money going right now. And then you can kind of look at that and create budget goals for different categories. Yeah, I know that's one thing that I do each month is I take all my transactions and I like categorize them and look at them compared to my budget. And I think that's a really powerful exercise to do because there's so many times when I'm out there, I'm like, oh, it's just $20, right? Like you're shopping or whatever. Like it doesn't feel like much. But then at the end of the month, when you look at it, you're like, how did I spend that much in that category? And it's just those, those little amounts can add up so quickly and you don't always realize it unless you're looking at how much you're spending in each category. So that's one thing that I've noticed that um, can really help me stick to budgets it better if I'm actually going through and like doing the exercise to see where my money is actually going. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's such a great habit to get into, to do it monthly. And that's, I would say where a lot of people struggle because it it is, it takes time and it's hard to track your expenses pretty regularly like that. But the only way to know where your money is going is to do that, is to track it. And there's a lot of ways to do that. You can do kind of like what you're doing every month. I have an app on my phone that like inputs my bank transactions and I can see it you know, every couple of days, basically. And same as you, it's like, well, I spent $20. And then I'm like, oh, but I really only have $20 left in that budget or that category for the end of, yeah. till the, end of the month. So um, yeah, any way that you can find to regularly track your expenses is going to help you feel like you have control over your money and not feel like your money is just going kind of wherever it wants to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I started doing that a little bit too, is I will, I will always write down what I spend things on and it is a good reminder. Cause there is times that I will think, Oh, I haven't really gone out to eat in a while. I need to treat myself. And I look, and I'm like, I went out three days ago and you kind of just forget about it or Amazon. Um, there's something that I do where I am obsessed with makeup. So I have also Ulta. And so I'll put things on Amazon of like my wish. And what I used to do is just like buy it without thinking. And mm-hmm. then I'll save it and I'll wait a few days. And then I'm like, I would have, but then I'm like, I don't really want that anymore. And I look and I'm like, I would have spent like $200 just frivolously because I wanted it. And that was kind of a eye opener for me because I was like, wow, I just, I think also with America, you're so used to spending and getting things, just instant gratification instead of like, hmm, what do I really need instead of just buying something that I like, It's so want. convenient now. You can just like yeah. within um, a click of a button, buy something and have it at your door the next day. Like it's so easy to spend money now. Yeah, that is so true. And the, the method that you were using, Candice, to... Um, to kind of stop those impulse buys is like super, super effective. So just waiting like three days or one day even to see like, oh, do I actually really want that? Or did I just want that dopamine hit of clicking, you know, purchase now and then having it show up at my door? It's super effective to just like give yourself some time or even like having three core questions that you can ask yourself, like, do I need it? Do I have something that could already, that would serve this purpose? If I, um, you know, if I waited three days, would I still want this thing? So having some of those just really quick and easy practices in place is going to help so much. So that's uh, incredible that you're doing that. And for listeners, that's a super effective strategy if you are really struggling with those impulse buys. 
And then do you also do something with that? Or for me, uh, I'm sure you have to deal with people that also deal with spending emotionally because Mm -hmm. something along with that, those lines is a lot of times I would go grab fast food. And then I started to do ask actually, what are the, those questions? Or I'd be like, why am I trying to get fast food? And I would start journaling or I would just sit there and I'm like, it's because I'm uncomfortable. It's because I'm upset and I want something to self-soothe. Or my other thing is I love makeup. And so I would just buy tons of like makeup, you know, um, eyeshadow palettes. And I'm like, oh, this one's on. Oh, this is a new one. And then I started being like, I have over 20 palettes that will last me at least 20 years now and they'll probably be old. So I still have to remind myself like, well, why do I want this? And is it because it's shiny and new and it's available. And I really started looking and I'm like, I have these colors. I don't need this. And so it's really helped me a lot be like, okay, just like you said, what do I need? And I notice it's a lot of, um, when I want to go shop, it's emotional. Mm-hmm. And, um, do you, have you noticed that also with your clients as well? Yeah. Yeah. That emotional spending is huge. And it, it is exactly like what we do in coaching is exactly what you did is like doing some sort of journaling or process where you're finding the root cause of that. So it's like, why do I want this? And in situations where I maybe bought something like that in the past, what was happening in my life and trying to kind of like piece together some of that stuff so that you can create different habits or different strategies to use when something is maybe more of an emotional purchase. The other thing I I, um, think is helpful with stuff like impulse buying and maybe not so much buying food because it's it's a little bit more difficult, but like, let's say Amazon or your like makeup is maybe you buy it. And then it's like, when you open the box, just take a second to like, think about how you're feeling. It's like, are you still as excited as you were when you hit the like purchase button or has that excitement kind of dwindled? And are you like, I don't actually need this anymore. So getting a little bit more used to, what are the feelings when you actually have it versus when you are buying it? And then if you don't actually, if you're not having those same feelings anymore, can you return it, right? Like, can you send it back because you don't actually need it anymore? So again, just kind of finding some of those strategies, but exactly how you're doing it is just finding like, what are the root causes of this? Where am I, you know, how am I feeling when this is happening or what is the reasoning behind it? I know for me, um, going out to eat is like a huge one. And I'm like, it's always like, I deserve this. Okay. I have had a very difficult day or I ran all my errands today, even if they were like two errands and it wasn't that difficult. You know what I mean? I'm like, I, I deserve this. It's like the, I don't know if you guys have heard of the little treat mindset, but it's like, I deserve a little treat. I am of the little treat mindset always. So reminding myself like, um, I actually am a really great cook and I can cook really delicious food at home and it's going to taste better at home or looking at like, I am going to, um, I am going to spend like this amount of money going out versus how much money I would spend eating at home. Doing just some quick analyses like that can be really helpful just to know like, okay, this is going to be, um, this is going to be the entirety of my eating out budget, right? If I eat right, if I eat out right now and it's, August 2nd, you know what I mean? And then I'm done for the month. So just kind of doing some of those quick analyses can be helpful too. Yeah. And I'd, um, I'd love to get some tips from you on budgeting as well. Um, cause I'll share something that I know I struggle with is, um, you know, I'll set a budget kind of based off of, you know, what I spent last year and what my goals are. 
Um, and then as the year progresses, like there may be some areas where I'm just not meeting, like for example, the food budget I set, you know, I didn't want to increase from last year and with cost of inflation and food, like it's just not reasonable for me to expect that I'm going to be able to fit in that same budget. But it's so hard for me to change that and reassess because I'm always like, nope, I can do it. I can hit that budget next month. I can make up for what I overspent. I can fix it. Um, and then it just causes me to like continuously blow the budget. And I never actually want to go through and reassess and do the work to go back through my budget. So I would love to get some pointers and advice um, from you as to how to like create an effective budget and then to effectively manage that. Yeah, I would say that is probably one of the hardest things about like personal finance. Creating a budget is relatively easy, but sticking to it is really hard. So like when we're talking about food specifically, that also happened to me. I was like, great, I've been doing this for the last year or so, and I can stick to this budget. And then this year... I cannot for the life of me, like stick to that budget because food is so expensive. So one of the things that I do and that I encourage clients to do is when you create your budget, create an action plan with it. So we have our budget and then you have, okay, from let's say like from last year, from whenever you're, um, you know, looking at it and maybe making changes to it. Or for some people, if they've never made a budget before, then you're making changes to what your cash flow was. So what you spent money on that you kind of recorded. So when you're making budget changes, think about, let's say three or four budget changes that you want to make and then create some sort of action plan that says, here's how I'm going to do it. So here's the budget change that I, I want to make. Here's why I need to make that budget change, whether we're increasing it or we're decreasing it. So give a reason to it. I usually call that a motivation. And then um, think about how you're actually going to create that budget change. So create like a couple of action steps. And then when I work with couples, I um, make them create or list who's going to do it. So who's going to be in charge of this particular task or whatever, because it's important to have some sort of accountability. And then the last piece of it is what's going to happen if we do not meet this budget change. So when are we going to reevaluate and what are we going to do if we are not meeting the budget change consistently each month, right? And that piece is really important. So you want to have a plan ahead of time when you create your budget of like, what are we going to do if like, for example, like you and I, if we are consistently not able to stick within our food budget, so if you have that plan ahead of time, then maybe you reevaluate in three months or six months or whatever. My husband and I typically do, we call it like our annual plan or <laughs> annual review every year. And we look at all of our finances and, and a lot of other different things, but finances is one of them. Um, and then we do it. So we do kind of like a big annual review in December, but then we reevaluate in July or August. So right around now. And we're like, okay, are we, are we doing it? Are we not doing it? Where are we at? And what could we do differently? So having a plan to reevaluate and a timeline for it can be really helpful. And then like setting aside the time to actually do it. So for example, I, I wouldn't have time to reevaluate every single month and make budget changes every month, but doing it twice a year feels really reasonable for me. So figuring out what is a reasonable timeline and an amount of time that you can set aside to actually do that. And one thing I was thinking also is, so debt is such a huge thing for a lot of people. Um, I'm fortunate where I'm so particular about my money that I'm not in debt, but I know so many of my friends, either it's, you know, school debt or their house or, um, 
I know a lot of people that have over 30 grand in debt with their credit card bills. Mm-hmm. Um, is there something that you kind of suggest because there's some, when um, I know it's a topic that not a lot of people want to talk about, mm-hmm. but I even had one friend that kind of came to me and asked for help. And I was like shocked at the spending and they were embarrassed, but they felt so overwhelmed that they just thought it was better to stay in debt than to do anything. And I also feel, um, which I'm sure you might as well, like if someone stays in debt, that definitely has to affect their emotional state, physical state and things around. Uh, What do you kind of recommend or help those who are in that amount of debt and maybe be embarrassed, but like, how do they start trying to pull themselves out of that debt? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. Debt is so, can be so overwhelming to have, but also to talk about. So a lot of times kind of what you just shared is that people will stay in debt because it's so difficult and so maybe embarrassing or they feel guilty or whatever to ask for help. Um, so yeah, I, but that is something that I see a lot and I know even friends that I've had are like, can you help me figure out this debt? But like, please don't judge me. You know what I mean? It's like, that's like how it all starts because it can feel really difficult to even start looking at it. So the first thing that I do with clients is we talk about the different types of debt. So for example, student loans is one that a lot of people have um, and they operate a little bit differently than some of the other types of debt. Medical debt is another one that a lot of people have. And again, that operates a little bit differently than other types of debt. And then credit card, credit card debt um, operates a little bit differently. So you kind of want to understand what types of debt that you have because figuring out what to pay first or what to pay more on first is going to be really helpful. So there's kind of a couple different strategies for paying debt, but they all start with listing all of your debts. So this is really, really hard. It's really hard to see the full number, to say the amount of interest that you're paying and all of that, but it's incredibly important to have all of your debts listed in front of you so you know where you're at and what you need to do. So when you're listing debt, you want to list like what the debt is. So like the name of the debt or the creditor or whatever that is, how much you have to pay on it, what the interest rate is, and then what the minimum payment every month is. You want to have, if you, if you like Excel or whatever, you can do it on Excel. If you just want to write it all down, that's also fine. Whatever works best for you, but you want to list out the, all the debt that you have that way it's in front of you. And then depending on the types of debt that you have, sometimes it's, um, Helpful to just do like, I don't know if you all are familiar with Dave Ramsey, but Dave Ramsey really touts the snowball method. So that method is basically that you start with your lowest debt first, so the lowest amount, and you pay that off as quickly as you can. So you pay the minimum payments on all of your other debt and then add as much more um, as you can towards your smallest debt every month. And then you, once you pay off your smallest debt, then whatever you were paying towards that smallest debt, you add to the next um, highest debt. So you're kind of snowballing that payment and then you keep going until you pay off all of your debts. That works really well for people who debt is a behavior issue. So they're like, I need to see kind of some immediate progress or else I'm going to lose motivation and I'm not going to keep doing it. The snowball method works really well because you're going to see really quick progress and you're going to see those debts um, start to dwindle. The important thing with the snowball method, though, is that you have to stop accumulating debt. So you have to cut up your credit cards or stop um, using whatever whatever method is of accumulating debt that you're using um, or else you're not going to see any progress. 
So the second method is called the avalanche method, which is very, very similar to the snowball method. But instead of paying your smallest debt first, you pay the debt with the highest interest rate first. Um, that is going to be the method that works or that basically pays off your debt the fastest and saves you the most interest, the most money in interest. So for example, if you have really high credit card debts, I would typically recommend starting with credit card debt because credit card debt not only has high interest rates, usually like 18 to 25%, but the interest rates are variable. So they're going to change based on the market. They're not going to, you're not going to have the same interest rate every single month unless you're in some sort of plan that has that, but typically those are temporary. So for people that have really high credit card debt, even if that debt is not their lowest one, I typically recommend starting with the credit card debt first. People who want to work on student loans, those are a little bit different and there's different options for those. So like we would talk through kind of how student loans work and what type of student loans you have and those kinds of things. But um, those are kind of the two most common ways for paying off debt. And then um, we would just figure out the behavior. So that's the third piece of it is like, what behaviors are leading to this accumulation of debt and how can we start to mitigate some of those behaviors, change our habits, change our thought processes, whatever that is, because even if you start paying off your debt at these like record, um, with these record times and you're saving all this interest, if you haven't figured out why you're accumulating this debt and start working on that piece of it, you're going to remain in debt forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that those are some great strategies and things that people can work towards. Um, you know, I think it's, it can seem really overwhelming um, when a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck um, to try to find that money to pay off and kind of get back on top of things. But um, I can imagine that it would greatly contribute to their overall health and wellness um, just to not have that stress of living in debt and having to worry about credit card and continuously seeing those balances increase and the amount you're paying in interest. Um, so I'd love to hear you talk a little bit, um, about, you know, how overall financial wellness can impact a person's health and wellness. And maybe, um, if you have some success stories or something like that to share. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, I, um, before do before becoming a financial coach, I worked in this kind of like violence prevention, victim advocacy field. And I have my master's in public health. And in um in my master's program, I studied uh domestic violence quite a bit. And we found that um that financial instability or financial insecurity is a risk factor for domestic violence. And I want to be very clear that it's not a causation of domestic violence, but if there are other risk factors in a relationship. Domestic violence can, um, the intensity of domestic violence or the um, amount of times domestic violence is happening within a relationship can increase if financial instability is one of those risk factors. I say that because financial instability can have these really widespread effects on someone's physical health, their emotional health, and also really their relational health. And this is something that we see kind of across the board, right? If you're experiencing financial insecurity or instability, let's say you have a lot of debt, you may not be sleeping as much. It might be keeping you up at night. It might be um, 
impacting your ability to eat throughout the day because maybe you're not, you know, spending money on food or maybe you're spending more money on food because that's one of your coping mechanisms, right? So it can impact your physical health and then very clearly your mental health, right? That's that constant stress can be really difficult to navigate, especially if you aren't working towards a plan to kind of figure it out. Um, and then relational health. So like I said, this, um, there is a ton of research that shows that domestic violence can increase with financial instability, but just in general, people's relationships can um, really be hindered by differences in how to manage finances. And I think one of the things that I really focus on with couples is figuring out or giving people the tools to have conversations about finances, right? Because sometimes I would say a lot of times, actually, people get married and have not talked about their finances at all. And then they're in a really, they're in a committed relationship. Maybe they've combined finances and then information about debt accumulation has come up or spending habits come up. And, and it's this really weird thing to then have to navigate when we, we actually have never been given tools to talk about it. So that's something that I uh, work on a lot with couples. And I think that's one of the most important things because you want to make sure that finances are not impacting your relational health. And then we know then your relational health can impact these other forms of health. So financial wellness is such a key um, factor in overall wellness that I think gets left out a lot. And that is, um, that can be really hard because then you're like, I don't even know who to ask for help. I don't even know where to turn to when I just was never given the tools to actually figure this out. So that is where I see kind of financial wellness fitting into this overall aspect of health. Um, I was trying to think about success stories as I was thinking through it. I, um, I mean, I think just in general, right, you can see how uh, getting your finances in order can help you lead to a fulfilling life. I think that um, for most people getting their debt under control, that is like one of the, that was one of the major things that will lead to less stress. And I've had a couple of clients where it's like, even if they're not debt-free, having a plan in place to pay off their debts and seeing that number go down every month it's like a huge breath of fresh air. You can see their shoulders, you know, come down a little bit. It feels like, okay, I'm not going to be buried under this forever. And that's amazing. That's such a great thing to see in a client when they're like, okay, like I've got this under control and I know what I'm doing. I don't have to rely on someone else to help me to figure this out for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And can you also talk about the saving side of it as well? Cause, um, you know, I kind of always feel like that's a little bit of like a security blanket when you have some savings, because like the saying goes oftentimes when it rains, it pours, right? So when there's like one situation or one financial emergency, it feels like they all happen at once. Um, so, you know, I know at least for me having that, um, that savings or that plan for, you know, I don't need to feel stressed about this because I've planned for this. Um, I have this savings I can use for times when, you know, events like this happen. Can you also talk about that side and kind of what you recommend on the savings aspect? Yeah. Yeah. So what you're talking about is called an emergency savings or emergency fund. And it's incredibly important to have and um, specifically to kind of reduce those stress levels and to make sure that you have a plan in place for any sort of financial emergency. If you lose your job, if there's a medical emergency, right, there's a lot of things that can happen. And like, 
there's just always something, right? Like it just feels like there's always something that's coming up. So having an emergency fund is really important. For an emergency fund, um, typically we recommend having three to six months of your necessary expenses in a savings account. So when I say necessary expenses, these are things that are kind of like your basic needs and then your like high priority. So this would be like enough money to pay your rent or your mortgage um, for a month, enough money to pay for food, for utilities. Um, if you have ongoing medical care or prescriptions that you need to pay for, things that you need to kind of stay alive and like maintain your basic level of um you know, financial security, whatever that looks like for you. So for example, if you had a financial emergency, let's say you lost your job, you want to look at your, at your budget and you could say, you know, I probably could cut Netflix if I needed to for a couple of months, I could cut eating out for a couple of months. So some of those unnecessary expenses, we wouldn't include in calculating the amount that you would need in your emergency fund, because you could cut them in a true financial emergency. So you would start by figuring out what your necessary expenses are, and then you would multiply that number by three months um, and then by six months. So the ultimate goal would be to have a six-month emergency fund in a savings account. Some things that are really helpful to creating an emergency savings is um, starting with a smaller goal. So starting with one month, let's save the amount that we need for necessary expenses for one month in an, a savings account. To do that, it's really helpful if you have like a regular nine to five job, one of the things that you can do is split your paycheck. So you could go in and when you do direct deposit or however your paycheck is set up, you can say, I want this amount to go in my checking account or however it normally goes. And then you can put a certain amount into a savings account um, every single month. Doing something that's automated like that is going to help you create an emergency savings a lot quicker rather than having to think about it every month and transfer that money. The second thing that's really helpful is putting that money in a bank account that's not connected to your checking account directly. So you want to make sure that you could, in an emergency, transfer that money to your checking account when you need it. But having it like at a different bank um, is really helpful. And that way you're not tempted to constantly transfer money into your checking account because it's, it's a little bit more difficult. It's going to take a little bit more time. The third thing that is really important with an emergency savings is put it in some sort of savings account that is gaining interest. So I always recommend a high yield savings account. High yield savings accounts are typically offered through banks that don't have physical branches. And the reason for that is because they lower their like operating costs so they can offer higher interest rates. So you would have it basically just you only have access to it through like an app or through online banking. But for an emergency savings account, that's fine. You don't typically need access to it outside of that. Um, and you're going to get a, an interest rate of like 3 to 5%, depending on the market. So it's going to fluctuate a little bit. But that is significantly higher than like a savings account. Like I had a savings account through my bank and the interest rate was 0.02%. I was literally making like two cents a year. And you're like, okay, that's that's absolutely nothing. But now I've got a high yield savings account. And I think the interest rate right now is like 4.3%. So depending on how much you have in there, you could make $100 a month or $50 a month in interest. And that's huge. That's, again, putting money towards that emergency savings. And if the goal is to not touch that savings unless there is an emergency, then that's further incentive to keep that money in there because you're only going to earn interest on money that's in there. So those are some of my recommendations for an emergency savings. But like you said, Allison, it is incredibly important to have that. And for just overall health and stress levels, having money set aside for emergencies is going to help you feel a lot more secure in your overall financial health.
Well, and everything that you said, Abby, is actually stuff that I've been doing. And I will say like, that does really help because there's even when you were discussing those stuff, I still do that now. But I remember when I was 28 is when I bought my house. And um, like at that time I was making 28,000 and I was like panicking. And somehow I managed to save over five grand and went on a trip to Europe. And sometimes I'm like, how did I do this stuff? And then almost like what you said is, um, it seems overwhelming and difficult at times, but like, um, I didn't have internet for two years and I was more social. I like went to the library. It didn't really bother me. It weirded other people out, but I was like, I, I lived without internet. Um, and then I saved over a thousand dollars at that time or, um, just like every paycheck I saved or something that I had started doing is anytime I thought about going out to eat or buying something, I wrote down how much that was. And then I, by the end of the year, I was like, I saved over a thousand dollars not doing that. And then I put that into a savings. So, and it does help because I do feel right now financially free. Like I don't have any of this crazy debt. And, um, I know with some of my friends, they're like, well, must be nice. You can go on a, you know, trip somewhere. And I'm like, well, I save for that. And, and I just kind of looked at different ideas, YouTube and stuff, but it, I do feel so much more free instead of just being overwhelmed by debt. Um, one thing I did want to ask you, even though I know you do more adults is I do have a teenager, um, nephew that we're, he, we're trying to kind of um, he's trying to get emancipated and we're trying to help him through that journey, but also financially help him. Um, because at this point it's a struggle, um, because again, he's 16 and, um, I don't think he understands, like he thinks he knows, but like insurance and all that stuff. I bring that up because, um, a lot of adults struggle with financial, um, things. Is there any advice that you could give to parents that might have teens, like to teach them healthy habits, starting off young. Um, so then they don't go into those debts and don't go into those struggles that us adults have to go through. Yeah. That's such a great question. And one of my like super long-term goals is to create like a class for parents, um, with, with teenagers, with kids of any age, really. Cause you can start this pretty young, but a couple of the things that I've seen that people have done that I, that have worked, I, my daughter's still pretty young, so we haven't started doing any of this yet, but, um, is kind of when you give allow if you're doing allowance or if your child has a job of their own, helping them split it up into like, here's my spending money, here's my saving money. If they have started investing, here's my like investing money. A child with a job is who's making any sort of money at all can actually open like an IRA, a retirement account. And so having an IRA, even at a super young age can be really helpful. Um, they can also open up, like if they have a, um, this is with health insurance, but they could open up an HSA account too. And again, start investing some of that money as well. So basically just like splitting your, splitting the child's money into three different camps. Um, and that way they start really thinking about like, okay, I only have this amount of money to spend rather than looking at their whole paycheck, spending whatever they want and being like, oh, maybe I should like save a, a little bit of this or whatever at the end of the month. And maybe they don't have very much money to save in there. So doing that start of kind of early on can be really helpful. And then just teaching them a little bit about like, what are the things that they will need in adulthood? So for example, um, with this situation with your nephew, if he is going to start looking at 
like having to have his own health insurance and stuff like that, teaching just in these small increments, like here's what a health insurance plan looks like. Here's the amount of money that you may need to think about, start putting towards that, um, to put towards like a premium every month or put into an HSA or whatever, however that looks. So starting with some of those small things, I think that a lot of kids graduate college, me included, <laughs> graduate college and then start their job. And they're like, I don't know anything about anything. Like they, I remember when I started my first job, they like handed me my health insurance sheet and they were like, let me know by the end of the week what you want. And I was like, I don't even know what a deductible is. Like, what, what is this? You know what I mean? And then same thing. I like met with the guy who was like running our retirement accounts and he was like, just let me know how you want me to like allocate. And I was like, I don't even know what that means, you know? So having like some of these smaller conversations to just like tell kids, like, here's what this is. Here's what you'll have to think about. And then um, the last piece is really explaining compounding either interest or investments because that is how that's how they will make money right so like talking about like a savings account with interest rates putting money into that account and then showing them okay this is how much interest you earned just by having that money in there and then you're going to earn more next month because now you have more money in there so showing them like that kind of stuff can incentivize keeping money in savings or putting money into investments so that they can start creating a little nest egg for themselves, um, which is really important. The other piece with the IRA that I was going to mention too, is if, if you open up an IRA for a child, like if they start their first job at like 16, they can actually use some of the money. I, I, it changes every year. So do not quote me on this, but it's usually like 10 or $15,000 as a down payment for a house and it won't be taxed. So if you start an IRA pretty early for a kid, um, you could only start it once they have taxable income. So you ha they have to have some sort of job where they're making income. You can't start it at like three years old. But if they have a job and they're making money, you can start an IRA and then be like, okay, this is some of the money that we're going to put towards you owning a home when you're 25 or whatever. And that can also be an incentive for um, kids who really want that, who want to feel like they are going to enter into adulthood and have... Um, kind of a step up or feel like they are, um, they are ready for some of those next steps. Those are good information. Cause yeah, I remember even like you said, when I was 18, I was like, I just want to have my own job and have an apartment and had no idea there's insurance and, and, um, you know, things that constantly pay month to month or, um, gas bill, OPPD bill. And with my nephew, we're trying to kind of help him. He's slowly learning. He's working full time, but like trying to say like, this is the realization of being an adult. And I think he's prepared for it. But on the flip side, I do have a friend that's an 18 year old that just spends all of her paycheck. And she thinks like, oh, I'm just gonna get an apartment and it'll be fine and has no realization. And so even my friend who is her mom was trying to explain to her and she's like, oh, it's fine. And she's worried about her financial situation. So um, I'm glad that you gave those tips just because just as, like I said, teens eventually will become adults and keep on having those habits. And it's better to start early instead of being 30, 40 years old. And then in that insane amount of debt and mm -hmm. struggling. Yeah. Yeah. That's another piece is talking about debt, like how, t telling them how to use a credit card. I feel like that is something that's like so lost in our, like, just like our, public education is like, no one talks about how to manage debt or like how to use a credit card. And like, I know 
Um, my sister opened up a credit card at 18, but had no idea how credit cards work and then ended up in huge credit card debt because she just like, honestly didn't know. And that's crazy. So having some of those conversations about, um, specifically credit cards is very important. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Abby, for all of the information, all the advice, all the tips. I know that I'm feeling very inspired to go back and relook at my budget and, um, kind of take some of the pointers that you gave us and incorporate them into what we're currently doing. Um, could you share with our listeners how they can connect with you um, if they would like to work with you or find out more about um, what you do? Yeah. So you can go to my website, which is moneytalksfinancialcoach.com. And that has tons of information about um, how to connect with me, my contact information and all of that. You can schedule a free strategy session. So that would be a 30 minute session, totally free of charge, where we just talk about kind of where you're at, where you want to be, how financial coaching can um, help you get there. And then you can just schedule that online. So you can schedule at any time. And then I also have three uh, free mini courses on my website. So if you want to learn more, I have a mini course on emergency funds. So some of what we talked about earlier and some of those tips and tricks to do that. I have a mini course on um, kind of figuring out if you need life insurance or if life insurance could be helpful for you. And then I have a mini course on just some debt payoff uh, methods and um, some options to kind of figure out what your debt is and how you can pay it off a little bit faster. So if you're interested in those, you can access those totally for free on my website and learn a little bit more about some of the stuff that we talked about. Um, and you can also see all my social media handles and stuff like that on my website. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Abby. It was wonderful talking with you. Um, we really appreciate you joining us and uh, sharing all these insights. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was really wonderful. Hey friends, if you like what you heard on this episode, please subscribe to our show on Spotify or Apple podcasts so you can be notified of new episodes. Please leave us a rating and review to help others find our podcasts. And we love reading your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at Rooted Vitality and let us know if there are any topics you would like us to discuss or dive deeper into. If you are a health and wellness practitioner and would like to be a guest on our podcast, please message us. We love hearing from our listeners.